is the day that has been set aside in the United States of America as Memorial Day. Now let me ask you, when someone mentions Memorial Day, what comes to your mind? Is it the beginning of summer vacation? Brisket smoking on the grill? A family get-together? You know, oftentimes in the church we ignore Memorial Day. Because after all, the Bible says we're not to prefer one day over another. And yet I think it might be good for us to think about what it is that Memorial Day actually represents. Because you see, if you think about the name, the very name Memorial Day calls upon us to remember. And our ability to remember is one of the great gifts that God has given to us. Because in an instant, through the magic of memory, we can be a child again. We can be skipping rocks across a pond. We can be walking through a field. Through memory, we can fall in love all over again. With our memory, we can enjoy our children again. You see, our memory is indeed a wonderful blessing. And some of our memories are quite pleasant and quite fond as we recall wonderful experiences. And then on the other hand, some of our memories are sad and cause us perhaps to weep as we remember them. But memory is something that can also be quite practical. It's a good thing to remember as you come up to a traffic light that red means stop. And if there are cars behind you, it's a good thing to remember that green means go. And it's also good to remember that yellow means hurry up and get through before it turns red. Also, on the practical side of memory, if you can't remember your wife's birthday, or if you can't remember your anniversary, you're in big trouble. So you see, our memory can actually be a very good thing. This special day, Memorial Day, actually started near the end of the Civil War, or as I like to refer to it, the War of Northern Aggression. And within a few years, the practice of placing flowers on military graves had spread throughout both the North and the South. And it was actually being called by almost everyone Decoration Day. It was a day that flowers were put on the graves of those who had given their lives in battle. After World War I, it actually became a national holiday. And it was a holiday that was dedicated. It was a holiday that was dedicated to remembering those who had made the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. Those who had actually paid with their own blood so that we could remain a free land.
It's an important day. It's a time to remember. And yet, as we turn to the Word of God, we find that other memorials there are much more significant even than our Memorial Day. And that's what I want us to focus on for a few moments this morning. In the long ago, if you'll remember, God spoke to His servant Moses out of a burning bush. Moses was an 80-year-old, tongue-tied shepherd, tending his father-in-law's sheep on the backside of nowhere. But Moses was chosen of God to lead his people out of Egyptian bondage. And so Moses led them through 40 years of wilderness wanderings. And as the book of Deuteronomy comes to a close, we read there of the death of Moses. And after the death of Moses, a man named Joshua, the son of Nun, became the leader of God's people. If you'll remember, Joshua was the one over in the book of Numbers who along with Caleb brought back the minority report when they had been sent to spy out the promised land and And ten of the spies came back with the majority report and said, oh, we can't do it. It's a beautiful land, a land that flows with milk and honey. But we saw giants there, the sons of Anak, and, and we were like grasshoppers in their eyes. But Joshua and Caleb, they saw the promised land through the power of God. And they said, let's go up at once and take the land. Well... We read in Joshua chapter 3 that it's time for the people to cross over into the promised land that God has given them. And they're going to have to cross the Jordan River, but it's harvest time and the river is flooded. But when the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant stepped into the water, the waters parted and all the children of Israel passed over the flooded Jordan River On dry ground. Now I want you to listen to this reading. It's from Joshua chapter 4 beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass. When all the people were clean passed over Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe a man, and command you them saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priests Feet stood firm, twelve stones, and you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe of man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God the midst of Jordan, and take you up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel that this may be a sign among you, that when their children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean you by these stones? Then you shall answer them, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial under the children of Israel forever. 
And the children of Israel did as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones out of the midst of Jordan as the Lord spoke to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of Jordan in the place where the feet of the priest which bore the ark of the covenant stood. And they are there. Unto this day. Those stones were placed as a memorial for the people of God. And that memorial was a very important memorial for the children of Israel. And yet for us, for Christians, there's a memorial of far greater significance than those twelve stones in the Jordan River. For those who generally measure the value of something by the way the world's wisdom measures value. The memorial feast, the Lord's Supper that we observed a few moments ago. It does not command a great deal of respect. In fact, all over this land of ours, there are a great many people who consider themselves to be devoutly religious who do not attach much importance to it. For many people, it's not something that's very meaningful. Though they're religious people, and they do not particularly object to the Lord's Supper, and they're willing to partake of it occasionally. In fact, some religious groups take the Supper, the Lord's Supper, once a month. Some take it once a quarter. Some take it on special occasions. Some religious groups observe the supper on a somewhat irregular basis when they want to. You see, for many people, even religious people, the supper, the Lord's Supper, the memorial feast, it just doesn't occupy a really very large place in their thinking. But my friends, there are good reasons, valid reasons, for believing the Lord's Supper is important. For believing it is more than a mere optional form to be observed on an infrequent basis. Our text this morning comes from Paul's first Corinthian letter, chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. Paul writes, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat. This is My body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of Me. After the same manner also He took the cup, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till He come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. 
But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh in damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. This supper, this memorial, it had its origins in the mind of Jesus Christ. How in the name of Israel's God could anyone say that anything that had its origin in the mind of Jesus is insignificant? Are unimportant. We can be sure of this. Anything that came from the Lord is significant. Anything that came from our Lord Jesus is worthy of our greatest respect and our greatest consideration. You see, no one ever thought of the Lord's Supper until Jesus Himself spoke of it. And yet all three of the synoptic gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of them tell in detail the events of that memorable night. I want to read from Matthew chapter 26 and verses 26 through 28. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink you all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Think about that. The shadow of the cross is looming over his life. Jesus knows He's about to die. But He calls His disciples together. And having called them together, He says to them, Do this. This was one of the last things that Jesus told His disciples to do before He laid down His life for them. Surely it was something He wanted them to do. Because obviously... At such a time as that, in those last few hours of his life, if it was not something important and not something that Jesus wanted them to do, he would not have wasted precious time on something insignificant and something unimportant. The very fact that Jesus introduced the thought of the Lord's Supper at that point is something that ought to weigh heavily on our minds. Because it shows us something. It shows us the importance of the occasion. And it shows us the gravity of the occasion. Remember something about Jesus. Jesus wants us to do what He said. Jesus wants us to live His kind of life. Jesus wants us to keep His commandments. Remember He said in John fourteen fifteen, If you love Me, keep My commandments. And then in 1 John 5 and verse 3, John writes, for this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. 
keeping those passages in mind, we must be impressed with the fact that those who truly love the Lord are going to be diligent in the observation of the Lord's Supper. For those who love the Lord, gathering around the table of the Lord with brothers and sisters in Christ is a joyful experience. It's an enriching experience. It's something we should all look forward to with great anticipation. Something we should look forward to eagerly and not something that should be considered a hard or grievous duty. We also know this. The Lord's Supper was observed by the early Christians. We've been studying the book of Acts on Sunday mornings. The disciples in the first century, they took this command of the Lord's Supper quite seriously. Acts chapter 2 records for us the establishment of the church church on Pentecost. And in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2 we read, They continued steadfastly. In the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayers. The early church was diligent in the observation of the Lord's Supper. They were referred to as being steadfast in the breaking of bread. It was, in fact, the custom of the early church to meet on the first day of the week to partake of that sacred feast that Jesus had instituted. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, when Paul was there in the city of Troas upon the first day of the week, the disciples came together to break bread And Paul preached to them. The wording of that statement, the language, the implication is, it's indicative that that was the usual thing that those disciples did, was gather on the first day of the week to break bread. So once again, we are led to the conclusion that the Lord's Supper was considered by the early Christians as something important and significant. Something to be done on a regular basis and not an infrequent basis. Remember those first century Christians? They were teaching and they were worshiping under the direction of men who were divinely inspired. They were being led by men divinely inspired to do what the Lord wanted them to do. When the church of the 21st century wants to be like the church we read about in the New Testament. That church is going to meet on the first day of the week to break bread. Now there are consequences to an improper observance of the supper. A lot of Paul's writing in that 1 Corinthian letter is devoted to a criticism of the way the Corinthians were observing the Lord's Supper. Because in ways they were doing that he writes in the letter, they were actually profaning something that was sacred. They were eating in an unworthy manner. And so Paul wrote, Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily, he said, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. What a terrible thing to contemplate. Being guilty of the body and the blood of Jesus. He writes further. 
He that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. Not discerning the Lord's body. You see, the problem was the weak spiritual nature of those Corinthians. Many of those Corinthian church members were pale and anemic spiritually. Many were asleep. They were inactive. They didn't care. They were apathetic. And that's the reason Paul says, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you. Paul's saying that their weakness and their sickness was due to the fact that they had forgotten the meaning of the Lord's Supper. They had forgotten the significance of the Lord's Supper. They were failing to properly observe the Lord's Supper as a memorial feast in memory of a suffering Savior. You see, this commemorates the death of Jesus. Jesus said, This do in remembrance of Me. That's what Jesus said. That's what Paul reminds us of. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the Lord's death until He comes. The Lord's Supper. It's a memorial feast that sets before the world the great basic facts of our faith. When we preach, Jesus Christ is proclaimed in our words. In the Lord's Supper, Jesus Christ is proclaimed in symbol. The Lord's Supper is a way that each and every child of God can proclaim the death of Jesus Christ. It's a method available to everyone. And it speaks a universal language. To those that don't understand, to those that don't appreciate the death of Jesus, the unleavened bread, the fruit of the vine are meaningless objects. I come to the table. And I come to the table with only a little piece of bread. And I come to the table with only a small cup of fruit of the vine. And they have no value in themselves. In the way the world measures value, they're worth pennies. But it's not that I have faith in that little piece of unleavened bread. And it's not that I have faith in that little cup of the fruit of the vine. But those emblems cause me to remember Calvary. And with those emblems, I can go back by an eye of faith and I can look back to that day and I can see Jesus Christ, my Lord. And I can see Jesus surrounded by the Jewish rabble. I can see Him surrounded by those Roman soldiers holding a spear and a shield. And I see the crowd and I hear the crowd as they chant, Give us Barabbas! Give us Barabbas! And Pilate, who's washed his hands and has no guts whatsoever, says, Well, what will I do with Jesus? Let Him be crucified, they shout. And I see Him. 
I see them nail the spike in His feet, the nails through His hands, and I see that cross lifted up, and I see Jesus hanging there between two thieves. And I remember, because of that bread, because of that fruit of the vine, I remember the sun was darkened, the moon turned to blood, the earth trembled, and the angels groaned, and God looked away. And my friend, my Lord, my Savior Jesus Christ died there. And I take that bread and I take that fruit of the vine and I do it as a memorial. I do it in remembrance of Him. And I ought to do it gladly. There's no intrinsic worth in that bread. There's no intrinsic value in that fruit of the vine but Jesus my Lord my Savior designated those objects as memorials of His body and His blood and the observance of that supper and taking my mind back to the cross inspires us and makes us more consecrated. You know, there are a lot of great monuments in this land of ours. We have the Jefferson Memorial, the Lincoln Memorial, the Washington Monument. There are monuments on various battlefields and military bases. You can go to Vicksburg and you can see all of the monuments to the different groups of soldiers who fought in Vicksburg on the north and the south. There are even monuments in Vicksburg that have Norma's relatives engraved on those monuments because they fought there. Problem was, they fought for the Yankees. I didn't find that out till after we were married. That was They were afraid that would be a deal breaker. But there are monuments there at that battlefield. There are monuments at Gettysburg. There are monuments everywhere. And we go to those monuments and we stand at the Jefferson Memorial or the Lincoln Memorial or we go to Lincoln's birthplace or to Jefferson's Monticello. And we stand there in awe with a feeling of respect and a feeling of gratitude. It's not because of the marble monument itself. It's because of the event it commemorates or the person that it commemorates. My friends, if those monuments are important, and if the observance of Memorial Day as a national holiday is important, how much more important is the observance of the Christian's Memorial Day? The Lord's Day. Something that celebrates such a great and meaningful event can't be insignificant to the Christian. A memorial celebration observed every Sunday by the people of God. Because it calls us back every week to the central facts of Christianity. What do those emblems mean to you? What does that unleavened bread and that fruit of the vine mean to you? 
right here, right now. What does Jesus mean to you this morning? As we assemble around that table, the Lord gives us spiritual strength. He cleanses away the evil that's crept into our lives. And that sacred meal provides spiritual food that our souls need. Is Jesus important to you? Is Jesus significant to you? Is Jesus the Lord and Master of your life? Or are there changes you need to make? I don't know. You do. And God does. But if there are changes you need to make, if there's something missing in your life that keeps you from making Jesus Lord and Master, and you need to change that, and we can help you change that, this is your opportunity to come and let us do that as together we stand and while we sing.